Yes, elections do indeed have consequences, and I hope that all of you feeble-minded idiots that voted for the current occupant of the White House are thoroughly satisfied with the consequences uh, that have been visited upon us due to your choice. Beginning with his first day in office, Sleepy Joe began signing every sheet of paper that was shoved in front of him with the word executive order written on it. It's a foregone conclusion now that we've seen his continued um, descent into dementia and his mental faculties degrading at an accelerated rate that he probably had no idea of what he was signing, uh, uh, nor did he care what he was signing. Most of it was simply designed to reverse any successes that were visited upon this country as a consequence of the Trump administration. One of the most principal of those successes was making our country energy independent for the first time in my lifetime. First time that I can remember in my lifetime. Perhaps when I was a very young boy we might have been, but I don't think so. I cannot remember us being energy independent ever since I was old enough to be aware of the consequences of energy dependency. And that means old enough to drive, and that was a long, long time ago. We've always been dependent on foreign sources. Now, what most people don't understand is that even though everyone focuses on the Middle East, we really didn't get much of our oil from the Middle East. Most of the oil we received from foreign sources were from Mexico and Canada and places like that. But oil is a worldwide commodity. And even though we don't get it from the Middle East in great quantity, other people do. And so any disruption of a supply anywhere in the chain puts pressure on the remaining supplies and causes those numbers to spike. The world uses close to 90 billion barrels a day of crude. Unfortunately, they only extract a couple of billion barrels more than that. I first looked at these numbers, or last looked at these numbers, many years ago. Back then, we were using about 82 billion barrels a day. We were taking 84 billion barrels a day out of the ground. Now, with the growth of China, I assume we've got to be up to close to the 90. But the point is, the amount that's taken out of the ground every day is just incrementally greater than that which we use every day. So anytime there's a disruption to supply, it puts pressure on prices. Now, the Keystone Pipeline uh, was poised to give us a great deal of oil, and futures markets on oil and other commodities are always forward-looking. The minute Joe Biden shut down that pipeline, he shut down future supply and prices began climbing. Prices have skyrocketed. The average price of a gallon of gas in the United States of America is something on the order of $3.15. Prior to Donald Trump leaving office, it was hovering closer to around $2. Now, for those of you who don't study economics uh, because your schools don't teach it to you and have no interest in it, you have no idea the rippling effect that that kind of increase in price on gas and crude oil can have on almost anything else that you can think of in your life. Goods that come to stores in your neighborhoods, larger stores, food, groceries, anything you can imagine, most of the time moves by way of truck, and trucks run on fuel. Yes, I know everybody's fantasizing that we're all going to run on electric vehicles, but also everyone fails to realize that in order to run on electric vehicles, you have to have electric power 
We don't have a power grid that can support that kind of electric vehicle army. If everyone suddenly had electric vehicles, we couldn't charge them up because we don't have the capacity to develop that kind of power. Now, there's only several ways to develop electric power under the current technology that we have available to us. You can do it with hydroelectric power, which is widely used in Japan and other areas where there are plenty of rivers and tidal flows that you can take advantage of. That's not really a viable solution for us here in the United States. So scratch that off your list. The other way of producing it is with wind. Oh, wind vanes. Unfortunately, their wind production is nowhere near uh, efficient enough or plentiful enough to produce the amount of electricity we need. It's one of the major reasons why they've had so many brownouts and blackouts in California, because they don't have a grid sufficient to supply their needs because they think they're going to rely on wind. So much for wind. So that leaves us with the more conventional ways of producing power that we've been accustomed to over the course of my lifetime. Using either fossil fuels, like coal, oil, or natural gas. People don't like coal, they say it's dirty. Well, there is the thing called clean coal technology, despite what the environmentalists may think, and it involves pulverizing the coal into a dust so that it burns more purely and more completely, almost like like a gas. Uh, so that is a way to do it. You're always going to have uh, byproducts emitted from any kind of combustion, but there are filters you can put in. There's a lot of things you can do to minimize environmental impact. Natural gas burns extremely clean, with the byproduct simply being CO2 and water vapor. And there are ways to process CO2 that mimics nature's way of processing CO2 with plants, which take CO2 and turn it back into oxygen. There's ways of dealing with these things. But for those of you who don't want any type of noxious gases getting into the environment, there is a very big way of producing electric power. And the Chinese have just invested in this because they want to go electric. And that is nuclear fission. That was the one thing that the benighted former president of the United States, Jimmy Carter, was right about. If you wanted to have independence from oil from foreign countries and you don't want to have dependence even on oil, period, then you need to explore nuclear power. You can control where the waste goes. All the rods can be disposed of in a secure area. All of the uh, spent fuel rods that are used in all of the United Kingdom are stored below ground in a secure, lined room that measures 49 by 49 by 49 in terms of feet. So you know where it is. It's contained, it's sealed, it's lined with lead or other metals to protect any dispersion. You couldn't ask for a cleaner way to produce fuel. Environmentalist wackos and the anti-nukes don't want that either. So how they're going to produce all these electric vehicles, or rather how they're going to produce the electric power that's going to charge all these vehicles is beyond me. Furthermore, it's not cheap. A friend of mine just told me his son bought a hybrid, not even a purely electric vehicle, a hybrid Jeep. Now I thought hybrids had an engine. It would seem to me if it has an engine, while it's running, the engine and recapturing of kinetic energy as it rolls down hills should be able to be sufficient to charge the battery. That was my experience with hybrids. Apparently not. Now you have to charge it. Now he does use the air conditioner in his home, but his electric bill is something on the order of $800 a month. Now he won't really know, because his son only acquired the vehicle recently, how much this vehicle is really costing him to charge. But he will 
Once next month rolls around when the temperature cools and he's no longer using his AC, then he'll know just how much it's costing him. And you're going to find out that it's probably costing you more than it would if you put gasoline or diesel in your car. So now let's deal with the reality, diesel or gasoline. We had energy independence under Donald Trump. Thanks to Joe Biden and his incompetence, we no longer have that. We now have energy importation like we did before. And now to make matters worse, the latest uh, faux pas, the latest failure of the, of the Biden administration is this contemptible withdrawal in a cowardly fashion from Afghanistan. So now we're leaving yet one more destabilizing force in a region that controls a great preponderance of the oil reserves in this country. Uh, not this country, but in the world. Afghanistan has never known stable leadership. There was only one period of time that it did. For most of its history, it has not known stable leadership. But according to people that have been interviewed from Afghanistan, they talk about the reform period, which began in 1963, when the king, the former king of Afghanistan, Mohammad Zahir Shah, dismissed the prime minister, which was his first cousin, because he was authoritarian, and took over. And people began to have economic progress. Women were increasingly liberated. Education was becoming more accessible. And then apparently, because medicine wasn't really great in Afghanistan, because it was still largely a backward nation, the king had to make a trip to Italy to get an eye operation. And while he was recuperating there, his uh, brother-in-law, the former prime minister whom he dismissed, Sadar Mohammed Daud Khan, um, had a coup and took over. He seized power and he had a one-party republic. He was killed uh, a few years later in a military coup. And then you, after that, you had a Soviet, the Soviet invasion. We all know about that during the Carter years when he boycotted the Olympics. And he had a puppet uh, government. And eventually we had the Taliban after the Civil War and after the Soviets got out. And then, of course, we had al-Qaeda, the attacks on various targets, U.S. embassies, the coal, and ultimately 9-11, and then we retaliated and we went in. Now, at that time, we had the opportunity to put in uh, the former king. He was old, but he would have probably confined his efforts to ensuring a good succession, maybe his son, who also seemed to be uh, a pretty straight arrow. Instead, the United States put this Hamid Karzai in charge, and the Bush family did not want the king back in power. Since then, there's been nothing but disarray in Afghanistan. The king is gone. He passed away in 2007. I have no idea where his son, the crown prince, Ahmad Shah Khan, is. Uh, as reported in the Epic Times, he's never shown any ambition for power, a good prerequisite, as they say, for a constitutional monarch. But now, all of a sudden, Joe Biden decides we have to get out. And it's almost as if no forethought was put into this exodus. How do you get people out of a country? No, you've got to fly them out if you're in Afghanistan. So doesn't it make sense that we probably should have maintained a military presence to secure the Bagram Air Base till we got everyone out and then the last people that should have been out were the military? 
There is anarchy there. Women and children are being killed. The Taliban is taking over. They've invaded the palace. And it's going to be a haven for terrorists. So now you can add to the trifecta of the Russians, uh, the Iranians, and the Chinese, and of course that little idiot in North Korea, so I guess four. Now we can add one more unstable government in an already highly unstable region, Afghanistan. And what's worse, they didn't even have the smarts to remove many of our military resources like the Black Hawk helicopters. How pathetic is it that after an occupation by the United States military of almost 20 years, you're trying to tell me we couldn't put together a single force in that country, indigenous to that country, that could stand up to these Taliban rabble? There's no one that could stand up to them? Just rolled over by the Taliban. That's not effective foreign policy. And that's why I laugh when I hear people on the right talk about Donald Trump, what a terrible president he was, and he wasn't a classy guy, and the things that he would tweet. Donald Trump was doing all manner of conservative things, things that people on the right have been promoting for years, but they wouldn't support it simply because Donald Trump was doing it. People on the left always hated war, said we spent too much money on the military. We'd have been a lot better off if we stayed home and spent our money at home. Donald Trump didn't start any wars. Donald Trump brought most of our troops home, but he left a sufficient force to provide security there, and we would have had a much more organized exit, if we exited at all, under Donald Trump. Now we have Sleepy Joe, which everyone wants you to believe uh, was supported by the majority of Americans here. And now we have anarchy. And a recent Rasmussen poll shows that support for Joe Biden since he's been in office, and he hasn't been in office that long, only seven months, has plummeted. In fact, if the election were held tomorrow, according to this Rasmussen poll, Donald Trump would win re-election by 10 points. And that's just the popular vote. The Electoral College would be an absolute blowout landslide. But we are told this is what people voted for, so be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. And that's the state of affairs with Sleepy Joe. Quite frankly, I don't know how much longer he can endure in his current position. Not that the alternatives are that much better. He gave a press conference this week, deliberately avoided any questions from reporters about anything at all. It definitely didn't want to go near Afghanistan. And while the country of Afghanistan was burning and people were dying and Americans were trying to get out, people actually clinging to the outside of planes as they were getting ready to take off, thinking they could get their way out of the country that way. That's how desperate they are. He's talking about our battle against COVID and the Delta variant. Let's win this war. And that is the biggest, biggest farce. This whole COVID-19 debacle, and that's what it is, is the biggest hoax that has been put over on the people of the world and this country that I can possibly think of. As I look at it now, I look at the numbers, I look at the mortality rates, and I see the response of governments, and I see this is not about health. This is not about protecting people. 
Because any fool can see that if it was about protecting people, many of the steps and maneuvers taken by many local officials would never have been taken. The least, not the least of which our benighted governor here in New York, Il Duce, who's about to leave in a few more days and is doing as much damage as possible as he goes out the door, uh, Andrew Cuomo, sending COVID-19 infected patients into nursing homes, resulting in the deaths of thousands of New Yorkers. But I want to continue on this theme and this exploration of COVID-19 and how people are using it to manipulate the population. Because just as Il Duce has one foot out the door and the other one on a banana peel, we still have the other idiot, who is the mayor of the city of New York, Big Bird Dumb Blasio, who is doing as much damage as he can in his waning year in office. There are now going to be mandates in New York City for vaccination if you expect to be allowed to dine indoors, if you expect to be allowed to go to your gym to work out, if you expect to be allowed to enter, to enter uh, indoor events. In other words, if you expect to live a normal life in New York City without being harassed, demeaned, or uh, singled out, you're going to have to get the vaccination. They're doing everything they can short of mandating the vaccination, and I'm very sure that that's coming. But right now, they're doing everything short of mandating the vaccination in order to get you to get vaccinated. They are offering people money. They are offering you lottery tickets. Democrats are big on giving them money away to get people to do things they want to do. Or in some cases, to get them not to do things they don't want them to do. I'm speaking about the latest debacles affecting the city of New York. First, let's talk about the COVID situation. Starting the 13th of September, the city of New York is going to mandate that you must have the vaccine if you expect to be able to dine indoors. It's going to be enforced September 13th. And the fines are going to be substantial. Now, how are they going to enforce this? Well, very simple. They're not going to fine you, the patron. They're going to fine the establishment. Because these establishments need to be open in order to make business, in order to earn money. Liquor, liquor serving establishments, licensed premises, restaurants. What they're going to do is some little 18-year-old girl with a clipboard or 18-year-old guy with a clipboard or some... Uh, busboy or somebody, whoever's going to show you to your table, is going to ask you for your vaccine card. And then in addition to asking for your vaccine card, you're required to carry a valid photo ID, because what good is the vaccine card if they can't prove that you're the person who received the vaccine? So the same people, Big Bird de Blasio and his Democratic ilk, who can't stand the idea of anyone showing an ID to be able to vote for the presidency of the United States or other elected officials, finds it very convenient to have people show IDs to get a hamburger in a restaurant. That's okay. But you can't ask somebody for an ID to vote, to prove who they are or if they even have a right to vote. Because not all people have a right to vote. Only American citizens have a right to vote. And half the people that live in this town are illegal aliens from God knows where. In fact, to mention as an aside, a piece of information came to me that as of April, uh, planes 
after the airport closes have been flown in, privately chartered planes have been flown in to Westchester County Airport just outside the city of New York on the New York-Connecticut border. Uh, and these people are being squirreled away to different communities in New York State. So it's clear what's going on. They're going to disperse these illegal immigrants that are crossing the border throughout the United States. I'm surprised that they're coming here. Not really, but somewhat. I think what you're going to see is a lot of attempts, to the extent that they can get away with it without pushback from the governors, to put these people in red states to try and turn these states blue. Because then somehow they're going to allow these people to vote with some sort of chicanery uh, where they use fraudulent ID or they take advantage of the lack of security on mail-in ballots to try and tip these states so that no Republican, no conservative, no non-Democrat ever gets elected to office in this country again. And that's how they're going to try and take it over. But uh, getting back to it. So the restaurants in New York City particularly were probably one of the most hardest hit businesses in New York City. Uh, the only people probably hit even harder uh, was the entertainment industry, like uh, Broadway. They were closed completely. But now to get into Broadway, to get inside a restaurant, because don't forget now, it's going to get cold again uh, pretty soon. Once September hits, things start cooling down, and elderly people don't want to sit outside. I don't care how many heat lamps you put out there. So you're going to have to have this ID, or you're not going to be able to get in. Now, that has to put uh, a great damper on the ability of restaurants to do business. So I would say to you restaurants, uh, don't look to give up those outside dining spaces just yet because you may need them more than you know because I don't think many people are going to be coming inside. Uh, as far as the theaters go, unless we start seeing movies in the park, I don't see how this helps Broadway to come back. So when restaurants and other businesses had one foot in the grave and the other one on that proverbial banana peel that I referenced earlier uh, when speaking to the governor or about the governor. And they managed to hang in with the hope of a new future. Those hopes are being dashed. But people are pushing back. Not everyone is very, very happy about this. Uh, many people are reacting forcefully to this. One man, Juan Guerreros, I'm reading from an article here in the Epic Times, uh, he has a couple of businesses. He has multiple businesses in Washington Heights. And he is one of the 38.6% of New Yorkers who have not taken the COVID-19 vaccine. I myself took it. I didn't want to take it. But the type of businesses that I have, in addition to running this podcast, uh, would have made it uh, almost financially unfeasible for me not to take it. I wouldn't have been able to do business. I don't know what type of Mr. Uh, what business Mr. Guerreros owns, but um, if I had the sort of business that would allow me to stay in business without taking it, I certainly would not have taken it. I agree with Mr. Guerreros. His quote, they're pushing everybody to do what the government wants them to do, and that is to get vaccinated. I believe we're going to die from it. This is the new world order. It's everywhere. But for now, Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida is fighting it. My plan is to take my kids out of here and start finding freedom in Florida or Texas. And if we don't have it down there, I've already trained my kids and my wife that we're going to have to die for this fight. See, there are people that recognize the danger here. Starting in September, under de Blasio's key to New York City pass, 
vaccination mandate, New Yorkers will be required to show proof of vaccination to dine at restaurants indoors, exercise in a gym, or attend indoor performances. It makes me feel cast out, said Furness Johnson, who lives in West Harlem on 125th Street. There's no other way to feel. It's an unjust situation. It feels like we're living under martial law. No, Mr. Furness, uh, Mr. Johnson, rather, it's not like like you're living under martial law. You are living under martial law. Isn't it funny how these people on the left, the ones who always point to everybody else and say, fascist, fascist, dictator, are the most dictatorial and suppressive of all people? It's not the governors in Texas or Florida or all the conservative red states that are trampling on your freedoms. It's your liberals who are trampling on your freedoms. They want you under their thumb. And we have this idiot, uh, Fauci, crying and talking about how the 93 million Americans who don't want to get vaccinated are a big impediment to uh, the United States recovering and healing from COVID. COVID has a very, very low death rate, and this Delta variant is bullshit. The death rate from the Delta variant is 0.08%. That is eight hundredths of 1%, for those of you who didn't study mathematics. Now, the COVID-19 virus itself, the primary virus, had a very low death rate. On average, about 2%, maybe less. If I have to get something, I want something with a 2% death rate. This Delta variant has a far lower death rate. Now, this Delta variant may be more contagious, but what's the big deal if it's more contagious and doesn't kill anybody? You get it, you recover from it, you move on. People get the flu, they recover from it, they move on. We're going to live with this forever? Well, let me tell you something. You are going to live with this forever. You're going to live with this virus as long as Democrats are calling the shots. The only way this is going to end is if we have a Republican president or more like, forget Republican, a real conservative president or if Donald Trump returns and puts the screws to these uh, blue states and these blue governors and these blue mayors and tells them, cut the horse shit out, because if you don't, we're going to come down on you. They're trying to implement dictatorial powers overnight using the threadbare excuse of a communicable disease, which is in any case not sufficiently lethal to justify this sort of quarantining and this sort of of, uh, excess government muscle flexing. You know, I know we've had pandemics in the past, real pandemics like the Spanish flu, which killed millions of people. Well, I have news for you. The Spanish flu of 1918 and following World War I, it didn't go away. It's still around, but we have herd immunity. And this is the other thing I don't understand. Of all the three vaccines that we we have right now, the Pfizer, the Moderna, and the Johnson & Johnson, only the Johnson & Johnson has gone along the lines of a traditional vaccine where they use um, dead virus from COVID to try and protect you against COVID in the future, like the same thing they do with the flu vaccine. The Pfizer and the Moderna use this new RNA technology, which people are all worried about. And I think there's a lot of 
false information on both sides. There are people that are being too hostile about the vaccine, saying it's doing this and that. It's going to fight your ability to uh, fight cancers if you get chemotherapy because it uses some sort of chemotherapy uh, methodology in its vaccine. It, I, I think a lot of this is, is conspiracy theory, but I think a lot of people who are promoting the vaccine are equally full of it. It's no question in my mind that most people who received the vaccine did so because they thought it would prevent, it would prevent them from getting COVID-19. And now you have this idiot Fauci saying the vaccines are working wonderfully. It's not going to prevent you from getting it, but it's going to prevent you from getting it in a more severe fashion, and it's going to mitigate your ability to transmit it, but it's not going to stop you from getting it. Well, then what the hell are we taking it for? And my big question is, if it's not stopping you from getting it, what is wrong with people not getting the vaccine if they can demonstrate that they've had COVID and they have the antibodies? Aren't they equally protected or maybe more protected against the virus than people who have gotten the vaccine? Why can't somebody walk into a restaurant in New York City and say, no, I didn't get the vaccine, but I had COVID. Look, here's my test. I've got the antibodies. I can't get it. Or if I can, I'll get a reduced uh, version of it. Isn't that what the, what the pro-vaccine people, the Fauci idiots are saying? If it's not going, if it's not going to prevent us from getting the, uh, the COVID virus or the Delta variant, then how is the vaccine any better than people who have the antibodies from COVID itself? They say people who've had COVID can get it again. It's unlikely. Your severity will be less. So why are people who had COVID and have the antibodies any worse off than people who got the vaccine? Why are they any uh, uh, less better positioned than people who got the vaccine? This is just an excuse to control a population. That's all it is. You know, I'd like to actually be able to do some of these podcasts and report on good things that are happening in the United States, but there are no good things happening under Joe Biden. All we have are these continuations, expansions of government overreach on the threadbare excuse that they're trying to protect us all from COVID, which is something we really don't need to be protected from. They want to protect us from the evil police by disbanding the police and letting criminals have their way with the population. Just recently here in New York City, we saw a very shocking video of a man who was going to an ATM machine, and another man walks in with a bag and a mask on. Well, everybody has a mask on. These masks are really great for the criminal population, by the way. It makes identification that much more difficult. And for reasons unbeknown to anyone, produces a hatchet from this bag and begins to go to work on the man at the ATM machine, and after he pummels him into submission, he begins to use his axe on the ATM machine and rob it. No rhyme or reason, no sense for this, but don't worry, the same idiot who thinks he has a handle on COVID, on how to control it by uh, preventing you from dining with a hamburger inside unless you've gotten an experimental vaccine, uh, Big Bird de Blasio, he has a way, he has a solution. Now, in the aftermath of the George Floyd protests, Uh, Mr. de Blasio said that he had a way to handle crime in New York City. He was going to deal with the root causes of crime. And that's why he disbanded the anti-crime unit, which was a very effective unit uh, used at the precinct level by the New York City Police Department for as many years as I can remember, certainly back since prior to the 1980s. So 
Here's how they're going to do it. It's called, um, well, I call it cash for thugs. You heard me right. Through an outfit called Advance Peace, the city will offer a stipend of $1,000 per month, uh, transformational opportunities, to young men involved in lethal firearms offenses. At the same time, pairing them with neighborhood change agents. That's a new term. Credible messengers, meaning that they bring life experience, conflict mediation, and mentorship skills to the target population. Now, I'll give you one guess who these neighborhood change agents are. They're older ex-cons. So if giving a grand a month to violent teens on the proviso that they receive mentoring from older ex-cons sounds like a good use of money, well, you're in luck. This is from an article I'm reading. Because according to public advocate Humani Williams, uh, investing in, in the advanced peace model isn't only a moral obligation, it's a governing imperative. So in other words, it's not only a moral obligation that we give criminals money not to commit crimes, but it's a governing imperative. We have to have it. Now, the groups in question include Man Up in East New York and Street Corner Resources in Har- Harlem. Now, they were selected because of their long experience in, quote, violence interruption and, of course, their close political ties to local leaders. Now, trusting these groups to administer the disbursement of $1,000 monthly stipends to gangster protégés of ex-con mentors is truly insane. But with de Blasio leaving office in a few months, what better way for him to establish the capstone of his depressing eight years in City Hall? This was an article written by Seth Barron. Now think about this. We're going to pay $1,000 a month to criminals who are going to be mentored by older, more experienced criminals. And in exchange for this 1000 they're going to leave us alone and not commit any crimes. I'm just going to take that 1000 sit home, and watch Joel Olstein, the evangelist on TV. If you believe that, I have oceanfront property to sell you in Arizona. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Durie.